Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Wrench. I'm your host, Jay Ganinen, and today we're talking with Michael Ropo. Michael is the president and director of Dealer Fixed Operations Consulting and Training. Mike has a long history of consulting and training dealerships on fixed operations and is the voice of reason for dealerships. It's a pleasure to have Mike with us today to discuss the effect that COVID-19 has had on our dealership network. Mike's practical tips and advice are extremely helpful for all of us, not only during a crisis, but actually going through an in general best business practices. Morning, Mike. How are you? Hey, Jay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I Just to kind of uh, managing the new normal here a little bit. And uh, I, I thought it would be great to have you on just in general. Uh, you and I have met through uh, the Teddings Fixed Ops Roundtable. And, and uh, I think just really respect what you've done amongst the, the dealership network. And I'm really excited to have you on today. Greatly appreciate being here. Thank yeah, you so, for having me. All right. So give us a little of your background. How did, how did you get into this business? Uh, tech by trade. My uncle had a dealership in Brooklyn, New York, uh, worked as a technician, went through the entire process in every profit center, screwed up a whole bunch of stuff in the process <laughs> uh, as much as I possibly could. And then I found somebody that can actually give me the uh, wherewithal to show me how to do that business properly. So I'm uh, probably one of the few lucky ones that are out there. Yeah, yeah. So, so now what do you do today? I'm consulting with dealerships. As you know, I worked with a company called Witham and Automotive Management Resources and stuff like that and advisory. But ever since last year, I had a little heart episode and uh, went on my own, man. Feel, feeling good though? Feeling fantastic, man. Just trying to keep safe. Can't dodge too much, so many bullets. You know, it's just like firing <laughs> off. You don't know where this invisible enemy is coming from. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So how, uh, how many years have you been in, in this business? Going on 30, but I stopped counting. I haven't figured it out yet. I'm still learning. <laughs> that's, that's good. So I, I think the, the fascinating part about you is how many, how many dealerships you're able to see and then kind of how candid you are with your shops, right? I, I don't know, uh, you and I have had conversations offline about this where you, you're going to give it to uh, the shop kind of right between the eyes, right? Like uh, that, that's just, your approach? Listen, brutal honesty gets you paid more and gets you paid faster. So <laughs> you can't help people that don't want to be helped, right? So uh, you got to be one, you got to want to be helped, man. Uh, I love that. I love that Very approach. Important. So are you, what, what are you seeing out there right now? Obviously, I think a, a big, a big topic of conversation right now is coronavirus and how we're getting through that. Are you, uh, what are you seeing amongst the dealer network? Is there, uh, is there, are people maintaining their heads or are they uh, freaking out a little bit? It's, they're, they're freaking out. There's a lot of fear out there. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd like to say that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. But uh, <laughs> this, this is kind of real. It's uh, quite honestly, it's disheartening. It's hurtful. You're seeing people that uh, you really care about being affected. And, uh, you know, the industry as a whole, the entire industry is what I think uh, is, is essential to, to the American people, man. I, I think, you know, a, I think they've made a mistake by shutting places down, like on the sales side. Yeah. Um, you know, things happen to vehicles, as you know, every day. Um, there's some good things that happen in the uh, process of uh, a crisis like this. You get to realize who your good people are and what those good people do every day. Yeah. And then, um, you know, you if you're paying attention, you get to see, you know, how the operating of the business should really happen. 
And um, that's that, that's a lesson to be learned. So, you know, I'm hoping everybody learns from this process and gets more refined and realizes that you don't have to make it cost so much to do business, yeah. especially when it gets painful. So your, your background, uh, very, very fixed ops uh, focused, right? Only in, fixed op- I, I, I like the sales side. I, you know, I did a lot of good sales training with a lot of people in the industry in the past, but I kind of like the, uh, the mechanics of how fixed operates come, operations comes together. Yeah. Um, I like the technicality of it. Uh, as you know, I'm a tech by trade and uh, I love fixing cars. I love making cars even faster. So, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that, that's uh, that's kind of something I love to do constantly. So uh, the thing is, uh, I think there's great opportunity out there right now for the people that take it seriously. You know, the people that are basically, you know, getting to a point where they're in survival mode instead of growth mode. Uh, you got to constantly grow. Growth is growth. Revenue optimization is a full time job. So yeah. is profitability, especially in these times, man. You got to make. You got to get some lemons make some lemonade out of it and try to sell it somehow right i mean yeah. the world's got to go around and the dealership's got to be profitable that's how we pay the bills how do you manage through something like this right so say say you're a, a fixed ops director or a service manager or you know and obviously this probably isn't the long term of how you're going to do business but maybe there's some things you can learn along the way how do you manage through something like this you got to get right to uh, the only practices that matter in your business I think you got to get everybody that does matter in your business on board, whether it's sales, service, or parts, or whatever it comes, whatever its way it comes. Your technical staff's got to get more intense about fixing the car right the first time on time every time. Uh, I think all those things become really, really critical at a time like this. That it should should be critical anyway. But uh, I also believe that. Like I said before, your, your best practices should constantly be evolving. You know, you don't operate like this, like in times of crisis like this every day. But quite honestly, everything matters a lot more faster right yeah. now. And people need, to, uh, people need to pay attention on how their customers are willing to do business. You know, if a customer calls a dealership right now and he gets through to that department, guess what? You know, they're going to figure out a way to deliver that car, whether you leave it in the middle of the lot, nobody touches it, <laughs> do the paperwork online or whatever have you. But, uh, you know, when a cu- customer's car breaks down or needs maintenance, you know, I don't think people are going to think twice about going to the dealership and getting it fixed. Right. And yeah. uh, people at the dealership can't think twice whether I want to be there or not. You've got to be there more for your customer right now than ever before, because that's that's really with the backbone that we're built from. Right. So. I think if you're not there now, they're not going to depend on you when times are good too. So how do you like have, when you talk to your team and you have, say you've got a set of technicians that, you know, they see everybody else is staying home right now and they're, they're like, oh man, I'd like, I'd like to just hang out at home or I'd, maybe they don't want to expose themselves to the illness. I don't get that general sense from the most part in talking with techs. Like I, I don't think that they're overly concerned or worried as a collective, but I do wonder about kind of the psyche going into this. And I think as a, any, any type of manager right now, you almost have to be somewhat of a cheerleader, don't you? And, and kind of you, tell you them that story. Do. I mean, that's your, that, that's a full-time job, right? You, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're keeping your, your staff motivated. But I, I really mean by getting out there into the trenches and doing the work, I'm not talking about polishing the seat from uh, with your backside, man. Yeah. You gotta yeah. get out into the middle of the shop, get with the guys, find out how they're feeling, 
take really good care of them because I got to tell you, you know, the, these techs, they are fearful. Um, they may not show it very yeah. much, but I got to tell you, they, they have the same concerns we have. I mean, who are you exposed to? You know, the thing is, you know, if you're, wearing, if you're going to war, you got a machine gun in your hand, you're firing off at somebody that's literally right in front of you. This is an invisible enemy, man. You don't know who has it. it you can't shoot this enemy. Yeah. Uh, he's going to come at you whether we like it or not. But the thing is, it's, you know, prayer's got a lot to do with it. And, uh, you know, you got to give the credit off to the people that want to be there, especially during these times. Look at what's happening with the nursing. Yeah. Uh, the doctors. I mean, they My have goodness. no choice, right? Yeah. And uh, thank God they're there. And I, and I got to tell you, I look at it. Thank God the technicians want to come to work. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to back technicians up 100%. I mean, look, there, there are a lot of people in our industry that don't want to work. And I highly recommend that you should stay home. Okay, yeah. but the thing is, uh, don't don't make it worse for people that want to be there and understand how important it is that people are on the road, man. Well, okay, and, and so. if you think about it, if if you're helping get that doctor to work or you're helping get that nurse to 100%. work, I mean, you're 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 helping be part of the solution rather than 100%. part of the problem. Yeah. 100%. So let's talk about. I, I want to circle back to what you mentioned earlier with best practices and and talking through best practices with a dealership. What is a good example of evaluating best practices or being able to look and and I think best practices can become kind of a buzzword, but when, when you really get down to it, I like your strategy around this in general, or your, your kind of, your thinking around best practices. What is it when you dive into it? What are best practices? Best practices outline how you do business, what people can expect, the value that you bring to the table. Like one of the biggest ones that I see, and you know, I've, I've said this many times is keeping the customer informed about the status of the vehicle while you got it in your shop, man. It's like, you know, that's, that's a critical best practice. A lot of people fail at that. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is, um, you know, I, 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 and people have heard me say that one many, many times because it's a critical performance indicator, right? I mean, if you're not communicating to your customers, what are you doing? You know, the advisories part, the best practice for an advisor is to make sure that you're making the calls, make yeah. sure you're making a point, uh, point of sale more valuable than ever before. I mean, you know, making sure that you do the MPVI properly. That's a best practice, right? Yeah. Uh, quite honestly, that, uh, if you don't have that best practice, the service walk around like Ted Engsel talks all the time. If you don't do it, you're going to miss some opportunity, right? Yeah. Not only that, you're going to miss communicating to your customers. So I think all those things are good, but I, I, now it's, it's, it's even more critical that you take the customer from the womb to the tomb, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, need to, uh, you need to be involved as soon as you pick up that phone, invite the customer down, go through the entire service process, even get your tech involved if you have to at these points. Because you know what? At the end of the day, you have to provide more value now than you've ever did before. And, yeah. uh, you know, a best practice is to make sure that you provide that value. The customer sees and feels that value. One of the best practices right now, back, back to what's going on, right? People want to see people cleaning in a dealership, in a service department. Mm -hmm. They want to see, they want to smell chlorine. It's never <laughs> smelled nicer before, right? So the thing is this, they want to smell all those beautiful smells, what you hear, what you see, and what you smell. So the thing is, that's the best practice, keeping your facility clean and making sure that everybody works in a clean environment. I think that's, those are all examples of great best practices. I have like, you know, and everybody that's listening to this thing, if you guys want a set of best practices to live by, I'll provide them. Yeah. Especially yeah. during these times. Complimentary. I won't well, charge anybody. We'll, uh, we'll get a link in the show notes to all that, Mike, or, uh, to your contact information too, because I think oh, there probably, probably will be some people that want to reach out. 
So another piece that I, I love about your approach is the execution side of it, right? I think you're, you're very in touch with accountability and with uh, execution of those best practices. Yes. What are some strategies and how, how, do you, how are you so effective with that execution side of things? Well, I, I take the time bank of everybody's schedule very, very seriously. I mean, when, you know, when we talk about matching the complexity of the job to the skill level of the tech, to me, that stuff matters, okay? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of like mind over matter, right? If you don't mind, it don't matter. So the <laughs> thing is, if you, don't, if you don't basically take that time bank and run your dealership on that time bank, and I know what's going on around us right now, whatever have you, may take a little longer, but at the end of the day, if a, cus if a customer needs a job done, and we're telling them it's going to be done by 10 o'clock. Uh, it's, it's got to be done at 9.59, man. Okay. Yeah. And the paperwork's got to be ready, ready to go. The customer's got to leave. Uh, so all those things that I, you know, when I give a job that takes an hour, I can't have anybody that's going to take an hour and a half to do it. You know, time, time is very, very important to me. Um, and, you know, sometimes when people hear, it goes, well, how do you get those? Just like you asked, right? What makes it so, what, what do you do that's so special? I take the process very seriously. Yeah. any process. Okay. So the thing is when I, when I give out, out a job, I like to sign out that I gave that job at that specific time. I expect it back before the time back runs out. So mm. the thing is, you know, the efficiency part comes to play. Uh, the proficiency comes part to play. And uh, you know, if you're, if you're matching that level of job to the, to the skill level of the tech, you should have no problem doing that. Otherwise you got other problems. Yeah. So, um, and, and I think that's very, very important. Some people just, okay, here's the job. Whenever it gets done, it gets done. It's like, listen, just pay attention to the, pay attention to what's going on around you, man. Yeah. Um, so you, you got to make that, uh, you, you got to make that a critical part of what we do every day. So how do you teach that when you're going into a dealership and say, if you're working with a service manager and, and somebody that's really coordinating the schedules and working with the schedules, what's a good way to go in and, and talk to a dealer, like uh, to a, a dealer service manager or whoever it might be about how to manage that time bank and how to, how to really teach this, the seriousness of it. Because I think some of that comes down to the quality of the employee that you have there that you're talking to, but what's, what's a good strategy for doing that? Assign the accountability, you know, look at accountability from a standpoint of what it really saying it, you got to be accountable, right? And I'm talking about everybody. I'm not talking about people that put the rules in place and they don't have to be accountable. Yeah. You know, I worked for a firm for about 20 years that was an accounting firm that focused on advisory services and whatever have you. And I learned how to write a lot of nice reports in the process. <laughs> but reports, reports don't get you results, man. It just yeah. like, you know, that's not my business. And I, that's one of the reasons why I had to break away, right? So the yeah. thing is, it's got to get to a point where all that beautiful accountability stuff has to be put into practice. You know, plans are good. Actions are better. Yeah. So you take, uh, you take, for instance, that time bank that we keep talking about or that A-level tech, the B-level tech, and C-level tech, and you give them those jobs that those people can do in that time bank as best as possible. And then you monitor it. And then on top of it, you got to gauge how that performance turned out. I mean, a lot of people don't do that anymore. You know, they hire technicians, they put them on, and they go this day. They got the wing it plan. Just like, yeah. let's just wing it, see what happens. <laughs> you know, that, the person's going to fail, man. Yeah. You're putting them in a failed process. If you put somebody on, that person's got to be put on a program where you monitor the first week to the second week. That whole 90-day process is there for a reason, right? You yeah. got to graduate them from month to month to month until you say, hey, 
this is working and this is what I got to do to fix it or it's just not working. You got to tell them the reasons why. You know, I come from a background where my dad used to kill now, ask questions later, right? <laughs> so the thing is, at the end of the day, it, that, 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 that's a good practice in business, right? Yeah. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Just show me how to do it right. Yeah. If you can't do that, don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think the industry's got to go back to basics. It doesn't have to be that difficult. Right. You know, there's a lot of technology out there that can help you do that. But I got to tell you, I think there's too much technology sometimes between the customer, the advisor, and what needs to be done on a, on a daily basis. You're yeah. focusing more on the technology part than you are at the customer. Doesn't have to be that difficult, man. Yeah. My first RO was written on a napkin. All right, man? So, <laughs> yeah. Guess what? We made a lot of money on yeah. a napkin. All right, man. So the thing is, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you got to do what matters, especially in these times, man. You yeah. got to break some, uh, break some of those crazy rules that we're doing because of other systems or whatever have you. Just do what works. Uh, get, yeah. Uh, get finite about what it is that we need to do. And that's to take care of the customer. Well, and I think it comes back to, to what you said in, in that, that comment was I've, and I'm sure you've seen it too, where a, maybe if a, a manager doesn't manage a technician correctly and then fires him because he, he couldn't get the job done. And, and you look at it from a kind of a third party perspective and you look at it and you say, okay, it might've been something with the management style there that, that didn't, uh, didn't give them the best you, opportunity. You're, you're on point there because I think, I think about 90, 90% of people do that wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy to say, um, you know, it's not up to us to find out in about a week, two weeks, whatever have you, because we're not getting what we want as managers to say that a person's no good. I mean, um, that's, that's just not fair. I've seen a lot of good people condemned in the process to do that. Look, I'm not protecting technicians. I'm a tech by trade myself, but I got to take, I take, I take technical, uh, my technical background very seriously and I apply that same technical background as serious to the business side of what it is that we do every day. And, uh, you know, everything matters, man, especially now in these times, right? Everything, the opportunity to do business, you're going to have a lot less opportunities right now. Yeah. So the thing is you, you got to make sure you got to make sure that you're maximizing everything that you had. And I'm not saying taking advantage of the customer. Remember, you know, just, just uh, a couple months ago, I was reminded again that there's about maybe, a hundred billion dollars of underperformed and non-performed maintenance out there. I want some of those breadcrumbs, man. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is at the end of the day, I think people have a great opportunity if they're going to do exactly what they said to the, they're going to do for the customer at the time that they're going to say they, they need to do it. I think, I think people need to get responsible enough to offer that level of service. And you'll find out right away that people want to pay for that. Okay. People will pay for value. Service itself in, in this country is suffering. They're not very good at it, okay? Yeah. Okay, excellent service costs money. That has to be bought into the equation of fixed coverage, right? You can't, you, listen, you can't have untrained people in, your front, in front of your valued customers, man, mm. okay? You know, that yeah. uh, scenario says, uh, what if we train them and they leave? What if you don't train them and they stay? They become <laughs> your problem, right? So That's a big problem. It's like, it, it, it's a problem. So the thing is people need to decide who they want to be and provide that level of service. And quite honestly, you got to realize that not everybody can be your customer. If they don't right. want to pay for value. You got to realize that they probably can't do business here. Right. And I believe, you know, my model, I mean, uh, you know, I love this. I was just reminded, it goes, Oh, Mike, you're not on Facebook. You're not on, I don't need all that, man. 
I'm on LinkedIn every single day with the profit zone, as you know. Yep. And uh, quite honestly, the people that want to do business and are serious about their business, let me just, I hope this goes out into the air because I don't want to do business with people that are not serious about their own business, right? If you don't take it seriously, I can't. All right. Yep. So the thing is, I only want to do business with people that are serious about process, people that are serious about people, and uh, people that are serious about profit. At the end of the day, you know, fixed coverage, uh, it's got to be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> fixed operations is not fixed, man. It's got to be fixed. All right. And, and some people don't understand exactly what that means and what it entails. It's not going to come from a start. You got to do the work. Okay. You got to do the work. And that's with people, process, and profit. Just like I told people at JNL. And yeah. I went speaking to Scott Joseph. You saw the, uh, you saw the intro. I really meant that, man. I mean, it's like people, process, and profit, man. You got those three P's, and uh, you got to get those P's properly, man. You got those. Uh, you got to make sure that they're a real part of what it is that you do every single day. What I love about you, Mike, is that I. Uh, it's about seven thirty Central Time here in Wisconsin, and you've got me fired up enough to where I think I could run through this door right now. So I. <laughs> That uh, that northeaster did you, you you get that New York flair here and I uh, get all fired up. Like I said, you can't uh, you can't get the water out of an empty well, man. You can't get a positive charge off a dead battery. You know the saying, man. You know the saying, man. Yeah. So how how do you uh, when when you go into a dealership and you're you're working on kind of best practices? One of the things that I see at, at times from when I was kind of really really in the day to day stuff was maybe some confusion on who's responsible for those best practices, right? Or when you go through and you really, if, if it's not clearly identified by a dealership owner or a dealer principal that, you know, okay, here's our strategy. And even like, as you go down the chain and you go from maybe that dealer principal to a fixed ops director, to a service manager, you know, who's responsible for the strategy, who's responsible for the execution, who's responsible for the accountability, you know, that kind of thing. I, I think there's times where there's confusion in general amongst kind of that, that branch or the fixed ops branch of a dealership to where, you know, who's responsible for what there. Do you ever see that? And, and maybe how do you address that? A lot. I mean, uh, you know, the, the best practices has to be embedded into the culture of the store, right? So the thing is, it's got to start at the top. Even accountability starts at the top, right? If you're not accounted at the top, don't, don't expect the people below you or at a different level to be uh, accountable for you. I mean, they're only going to be, you, you can only soar as high as the standards you set, right? So the thing is, at the end of the day, if you don't believe in the best practices, nobody else will. I mean, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of them that, whether it's sales, service, or parts, you got to make sure that those best practices that you do have trickle down and into all the profit centers, making sure that one profit center supports the other profit center because that's exactly what they are. And the people that are uh, responsible for executing on those and measuring those best practices do it uh, and get together uh, more often than not. A lot of times we got this uh, approach avoidance that, okay, we say we have best practices. They're in a book somewhere. You get to dust them off once in a while, <laughs> but uh, they're not embedded into the process. Like when I go into a store, just like you asked, I take a look around, talk to some people, find out what the temperature's like start making up my own mind of what best practice is missing. Um, how come that service advisor is not looking at all the cars? Um, how come that service advisor is not getting the car to where it needs to be, uh, whether it's on the lift or in the back lot, not putting the flashers on when it's a, va a waiter? All those beautiful things matter to me, right? 
And when I'm told, well, don't worry about that for now, then I'm not your guy. I realized right there and then, if that's important as a best practice, then, uh, okay, we started the process of uh, understanding that this guy's not that serious. So the thing is, as crazy as it sounds, I'm going to work myself out of that deal as fast as possible, man. Okay? <laughs> I will not want to be. When I say, don't, don't, don't worry about it, just get me the money right now, that's not, I'm not that person, okay? We got to do the work to get you the level of money you truly deserve. Your business is exactly where it is because of what you did and did not do, okay? And I yeah. think we're all in that predicament, man. Oh, I love it. And I, I had read... At one point, the founder of Hyatt, I'm sorry, Hilton Hotels, Mr. Hilton would go into, like, as he was uh, starting off Hilton and was going around to hotels, if he walked into a hotel and there was a light bulb out, he would tell, he would call a secretary, like, this is before the time of computers or anything like that, right? He would call a secretary and tell his secretary to clear a schedule for two weeks because there was, there was more issues than just that light bulb that was out. And he oh, yeah. knew it as yeah. soon as he walked in. Yeah, that, listen, that, at that, if a light bulb's out in a facility like those, there's a lot more happening behind the scenes, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, we're talking about, okay, now we're going to be spanked and feeling like we're doing something wrong if we ever go out to a restaurant uh, again, right? Yeah. So the thing is, how about the people that are cooking the food, right? If you go in the back at any of those kitchens, you probably won't go back there. Right, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not, listen, my, my family's from the restaurant industry, but I got to tell you, there's certain times when it's a banging time and people are busy. Uh, I don't know if the best place to be is in the kitchen, man. Yeah. So if you can't take the heat, get out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, the, uh, who is it? John Taffer that goes in and says, uh, shut right. it down. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Exactly that, right, uh, that, that's, exactly. uh, that really opened my eyes. I've never been in the restaurant business in my life and I, uh, I I saw that show and I'm like oh my goodness I, I, uh, no, no, I don't no, even want to think about I, it. I gotta tell you he's got a yeah I watch the show quite a bit and quite honestly the same applies to what it is that we got going on every day I mean the customers without the customers that's the fire uh, that makes everything happen right at the yeah. end of the day it's without the customer we got nothing we have no business nobody has any business nothing in America's done unless it's bought or sold right something's bought or sold business happens in America yeah. I mean, we make nothing, which I, quite honestly, through this crisis, I hope comes back to where you start making some of these things that we're getting from a country that's actually causing us a lot of problems right now. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm over overthinking it. I don't think so. But quite honestly, I'd like to get those things that we're importing from other places, which are probably coming back to us contaminated. Yeah. Okay. And putting them right back into place and just recirculating what it is that we got going on. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's like, do you realize who's coming to your door from these Amazon deliveries? You don't know these people, man. No. You know, these people, these grub hubs, people trust people that are bringing food to their house that you don't know who they are. Okay. <laughs> and quite honestly, opening up the packages and eating it, man. Yeah. You don't think the virus is being spread that way. You don't think it, it spreads itself through. So we can thank Amazon too, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> Knocking on the door and says, hey, I'm Mr. Virus. Please let me in. Okay. So, you know, you every, everything's uh, questionable right now. But yet, you know, he's closing down businesses. Big businesses taking over. Uh, yeah, it might be a good front for a uh, storefront for many people. But you don't know who's delivering those packages, man. Right. It's just as bad as the mail. You don't yeah. know if those, those things that are coming in the mail are contaminated, okay? Because yeah. you can get it from so many different sources. But, you know, talking to people, 
quite honestly, especially the service drive and, and, and getting to a point where I always believe that if you feel safe, it's safe, right? Yep. Uh, but we can't tell that today. It's an invisible enemy. You can't shoot that invisible enemy, man. Right. Uh, so the thing is, we got to be very cautious. We got to practice and do the five, right? Got this off of Google, by the way. What, what are your five? Do you want to read them off? Yeah, sure. It says, uh, wash your hands, wash them often, sneeze into your elbow, cough into it if you have to, don't touch your face, make sure that you have the six-foot rule bef- uh, you know, between everybody, and if you're not feeling very well, stay home. Yeah. Don't get people infected, man. It's like you don't know what you got. That's the tough part with our culture, right? With uh, with technicians, it's yeah. kind of uh, it, it, whether you want to admit it or not. Like I think there's a lot of uh, that tough, you know. Like I, I'm not yeah. letting this keep me home. And, and right we're, now, we're all tough when we want to be tough, right? But unfortunately, you can't spray brake cleaner on this one. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. But I think you you also brought up a good point with something where you think about that person making your food. It's probably the same thing with the people doing your breaks, right? Like, oh, yeah, and, and trying to build that trust level. To, uh, and especially, I mean, you've been around the business for a long time. There was a time when techs and shops and dealerships in general didn't have a great name be- because of that reason, right? Like, they, there was some bad apples that would do some things that were not ethical. And I think we're still reeling from that a little bit. But how do you build that trust with somebody's... I'm putting my family in that car that you're doing brakes on. And, and how do you rarely do they get to meet the technician that's actually doing it? So you, you're blindly taking a vehicle that, that somebody is doing a critical repair on. And listen, I, I was guilty of it where I came up as a tech too. And I, it's just a brake job, right? To me, I didn't think of somebody's family. I was just going and doing brakes. And so how do you get that all to come together? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, you know, that's a, that's a pretty powerful question that needs to be answered honestly. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you just, just, we got to teach people how to stop selling so hard, man. Yeah. We got to listen to people that invite the customer to understand what's going on. A lot of times we, you know, push people off to videos and in the waiting room and that, that conversation needs to happen at the service advisory desk. And that person that we talk about being a service advisor, a real service advisor, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you actually have to advise the customer by knowing what you're talking about. There's a lot of people in the industry that don't understand how critical that is. Educate the customer and let them make some intelligent decisions on how to do best business with you. All right. Even though we're in a disposable vehicle market today, those disposable vehicles still have to be fixed. Yeah. All right. The more technical they get, the more they're going to break. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I personally believe, like I've mentioned several times before, we're nowhere near where we need to be as an, a, a labor rate. I think these guys are worth a lot more than what they're getting paid. 100% man. agree. Okay? 100% so at percent agree. the end of the day, these guys, these guys are car doctors, man. Okay, you just mentioned brakes. Oh, it's, oh, it's just doing a brake job. But <laughs> do a brake job improperly. See what happens. Yeah. Okay, so the thing is, it's got to get to a point where all the stuff that you believe in, and it's got to go from where the technician basically looks at the vehicle, definitely sells the advisor that that's what's going to fix the car. And that advisor believes that 100%. So he can pass on that information to the customer and let them make the decision on suggested and required repairs. Okay. 
This country's not good at maintaining certain things. They don't, they don't only act, react to it. They only do it when it breaks. That's why it costs so much to do. <laughs> if they maintained it, if they maintained it properly, look, a lot of people's like, you know what? I can't tell you how many times I've gotten lawnmowers off of people's lawn, lawns that they were throwing away, did a couple of things to it, and I got myself some lawnmowers, man. <laughs> or, man they don't maintain lawnmowers, okay? No. They just throw them out. Just, and I just want to thank everybody out there. <laughs> however, 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 if people maintain their lawnmowers and they maintain their vehicles, they will last a lot longer. It's just that people don't do it. We're in a disposable environment right now. And quite honestly, it's got to stop. Yeah. You got to find that dealership. And I got to tell you, you have to have guts to be a dealership these days, man. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and you got to make sure that your people that work with you believe wholeheartedly in your dealership, your process and everything else that's going on around them. Because you know what, when you're having conversation with a customer and the customer says, no, that doesn't necessarily mean no right now. It yeah. means that, no, you haven't given me enough information to make an intelligent decision to buy from you. So, so the, the advisors and writers out there of the world, I think there's some self-conflict within them, right? Because I think what it goes back to what you said. And sometimes I almost feel like uh, that, that's where the training comes in really, really handy is because if you have an advisor who is taking the multi-point vehicle inspection and and doesn't firmly believe that everything on there needs to be done, or if they do and they're just doing it for money, uh, because they're getting paid on a commission. I, I think there's some internal conflict with a lot of those folks that are, they want to do their job really well and they, they don't know how to toe the line between unethical and not, not, not to say unethical, but unethical or, you know, doing your job, right? Because if, if there is something that's truly not going right with that vehicle and you can save them money down the road and explain why that saves them money, that's a good thing. I, I see way too often, especially from a woman's standpoint where they'll go into a dealership and, and they feel like they're getting ripped off, right? Like, like they feel like they're, they're getting taken advantage of. But if we can get to break it down and one, treat everybody the same, right? Like if it's a woman or a man, being able to explain or like you said, just kind of knowing what you're doing helps a lot in that regard and not being so salesy with it, like actually being a consultant or, or like right. being, being that person that talks to them. Right. I think, I think people need to get genuine in the industry. We also have to uh, make sure that we're uh, paying attention to who we invite to do that part of the job. Oh yeah. Um, especially look, you wouldn't want to find out that you're going to a doctor today and that guy's, uh, you know, quit school about maybe five years ago, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, think about it. We put, we put people in predicaments where, okay, I got an opening. I need somebody to take care of the customer. Well, you can't take care of the customer wrong. People are going to feel it. And you can't, as crazy as it sounds, I understand training is very critical. However, you can't train on a customer. Okay. It's, you can't train on a customer. They will not understand it. You know, you got to understand it goes, the last thing a customer comes in with a broken vehicle and now we're finding out I'm dealing with somebody that don't know what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. Um, okay. If we did that in the airline industry, there'd be a lot of dead people. man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We can't, this is not a winged plan. And you know what, through this crisis, I hope people start to realize how important that is. That's a real job. Okay. 
I would not want to put untrained people in front of my valued customers. I just won't do it. Mm. Okay. I'll pull aside or we can train on the side, but not in front of a customer. Okay. When we go away to these training sessions, that, that's all great stuff when we do webinars, but when we're doing this, all this stuff and the phone's not ringing, technicians are not complaining. Okay. Customers not complaining. They're not being attended to all this training stuff doesn't apply. You got to bring training into the trenches while the phones are ringing, while the customers are complaining. Ah. Another job. Okay. That's how it becomes real. Okay. Doing a walk around where everybody's paying attention at the same time. Have you ever gone to a dealership and had everybody paying attention to a walk around that somebody's doing? Never. It's important. It's got to yeah. get done yeah. with the customer. Okay. And that's got to be trained, drilled and practiced with a customer in mind. You ready? Yeah. Oh, after, after you're dealing with somebody that's actually paying you, people don't want it. They'll allow you, they'll make you feel good about it. You can actually even go tape them if you want. However, at the end of the day, their time is valuable. It's just yeah. So how do, how do you do that it, through that training process and bringing them into the kind of into the fire? Is it you that like for your process of going into a dealership, are you kind of drilling that, that advisor or that, that service manager or in your kind of, it's just in a normal business day-to-day -day setting. Is that how you, you, you approach it? Yes. I, I practice practice to learn drill to perfect and rehearse to deliver results man love it practice to learn drill to perfect and rehearse to deliver results that's just the way it's got to be and it becomes mandatory and when you do it from a standpoint of being mandatory everybody does it wow this is good this is good stuff i i uh I, th this is really really good so uh, how how do you you talked you brought up one thing about our labor rate not being to where it should be right now and maybe the techs not getting what they should be getting for pay where do you think we could realistically get to in the next five years in terms of labor rate and do you think it's it's realistic to that that average salary of a technician ends up going up as a result uh yes and yes i think I think your labor rate should be at approximately one hundred fifty dollars an hour uh as a shop. Your effective labor rate should be about maybe five to ten percent away from that. Uh, there needs to be some categories, and these are the categories I think there are. There's maintenance, repair, accessorization. Are you ready? Technical. Hmm. Okay? okay. We don't say to customers, "Listen, I'm going to put my best C Tech on your vehicle." <laughs> Doesn't happen, right? Right. We try to charge them out as best as we possibly can, and that starts the process of compromise. And when you start compromising everything and people latch onto that, they do it all the time. And that's where you start losing profusely. Mm. Okay? Now, if I know I'm putting a tech that I'm paying top dollar to on a vehicle, I'm going to make that known. I'm going to communicate that. Yeah. Because that tech not only deserves the credibility that he, he went to school for or trained on, that he's fixing that car right the first time on time every time, he has to get paid for that. And that's why I take customer service very, very seriously because at the end of the day, excellent customer service costs, okay? Yeah. They need to be highly trained to get highly paid. Mm. The dealership needs to be highly trained to get highly paid. That is not something I take very lightly. If yeah. people are doing the work, they need to get paid, okay? So um, I think those are very critical points that people need to latch onto, man. To expand on the 
the pay thing. One of the hot topics amongst technicians is flat rate, right? And yeah. and what uh, most dealerships pay on flat rate. How do you see that evolving as we go? And and from from my standpoint, we we deal with shops and we deal with with techs, and I see a definite disconnect between the two uh, because. Shops love flat rate because if, if nothing's coming in the door, then they're, they kind of limit their risk, if you will, in a, in a time like today, right, where we're going through this whole pandemic. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we're treating our best fairly. And, and an example of what I see where sometimes that doesn't apply or sometimes a, say an A-level tech that's really good with diagnostics and gets paid on flat rate doesn't do as well as a B level tech that is just doing kind of parts replacement or doing, you know, more of that actual, like doing an engine job or something like that, where they, they know how much time they're going to take to do it and they can fly through it. And uh, excellent B tech is a beautiful thing to watch too. I, I don't think they get enough credit for what they do, but do you see, I, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the flat rate system as it stands and maybe how you like it, what you'd like to see change on it, any, anything, any insight on flat rate in general would be really, really interesting to hear. I think, I think I like the flat rate system. I think it works really, really well for the people that are serious about this business because the people that are serious about this business are going to look at the vehicles properly. They're not just going to wing it and put like NPVIs with lines through them and make believe that they looked at it without the customer's name and they don't get transferred or whatever. There's a three-ply copy for a reason, yeah. right? So if, when you're embarrassed to give that three-ply or one piece of those three-ply copies to customers, uh, you, you shouldn't be there, quite honestly because you're winging that plan, right? So at the end of the day, the people that know how to work that system, uh, those are the people that I like to work with because I take those guys very, very serious. And yes, you know what? There's a thing in the industry called being fed, right? Yeah. Well, a service advisor, a good service advisor is going to give that job to a technician that knows he can get it done on time, right the first time on time every time. And I think it should be that way. Like a lot of times you go to the dealerships and there's some, dispatch antiquated system in place or whatever have you. And you realize that the uh, dispatch of that process uh, is not very, very uh, fair. And the thing is it, it gets to a point where you got to fix that. Now we could buy technology to do that. And I'm pretty sure that people will screw that around too. you know, make that, make that uh, supposed, okay, we got technology. It'll take care of it. No, it won't. You'll take care of it. As yeah. soon as you get back involved with your business, okay? Like I said before, it doesn't have to be that technical. Uh, we're helping people. At the end of the day, uh, I think people that know how to work that flat rate system have to be given opportunity to do so. Yeah. And uh, in the process, you're going to find out that you're going to need a lot less techs. And I I'm okay with putting a B guy on an engine job with an A tech. Yeah. Okay? I'd like that number or that uh, whatever uh, time that they spend on that card together so I can train that B-Tech to become an A-Tech mm -hmm. if he wants to. I've gotten B-Techs telling me, Mike, I don't want to become an A-Tech. Yeah. Too much yeah. technical bullshit over there, man. It's like, <laughs> I don't need to be involved. I'm making plenty of damn good money doing this at B-Level. Yeah. So please don't put me, especially when you're in an electronic repair order type of deal where everything gets assigned to you. There's a lot more B and C level work than there is A level work, right? Sure. So the dynamics of the dealership needs to be changed too. So you might have a couple of smart people at the top diagnosing, getting all that hard stuff out of the way and getting the people to do the work so you can do more of it. So um, I, I think that's, that's very important too. And the other side of what you're asking as far as, you know, 
flat rate. It was a, how long is it? You know, it's crit critical question, but I take it very seriously. How long does it, how much does it have to cost to sell one hour of labor? How much does it cost to sell one hour of labor? And most people, when you ask them that question, just, what do you mean? It's like, yeah. listen, the industry has benchmarks, right? Yep. But those are our eyes that you can accept, okay? There's a whole, people, a whole bunch of people hanging out at this place called Average. It's actually the ending where sucks begins. So this is the thing. You could be average and make believe that you're good amongst your peers or whatever have you, but you can't take average to the bank, man. You can't take percentages to the bank. You take effective labor rate and net to the bank. Okay, that's how it starts. So you got to get granular on what it is that you're paying. Maybe you're paying too much where it goes back to, you know, do you want a flat rate shop? Yeah, I want a flat rate shop. Uh, I want I want people that are serious about working a system. Yeah, and you work the system, you get paid very well. I I know technicians that do pretty damn well on a flat rate system. For sure, um, no doubt. And the thing is, if you're going to have an hourly system, make sure that there's some form of accountability attached to that hourly structure where you have to produce this or else. Right. And then if you have a flat rate system that you have a lot of unproductive time. You got to realize what that unproductive time is and establish an unproductive rate. How's that? And you're going to go weed through the people that are serious about business real fast with yeah. that problem. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen people actually at, uh, when there's an unapplied hour applied, they're getting paid at minimum wage. Yeah. Do you really want that tech on your lift? <laughs> right. Right. No. We want, we listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rob Peter to pay Paul. Right. If I got a good tech, on a car, I'd rather cost myself a little more right now and go on to that next job. Okay, man? So this yeah. thing about, you know, how much it costs to do that job, people don't do that very well. Right. They make it sound smart and all that beautiful stuff, but quite <laughs> honestly, they're not in charge of that the way they should be. Yeah. But that's why we see these decreasing in gross profit percentages, effective labor rate, hours per RO, because they're trying to maximize and, and monitor all these things that they lose them all. Right. I think people that are professionals, professional service advisory people need to know how that math works. OK, yeah. so if we say to a, a job, it's going to this this job is going to cost me 38 bucks an hour and that guy does it in an hour. You pay him the 38 bucks. Go on to something else. Maximize your time. Man. Yeah. All right. Don't do dwindling down to basically saying, OK, this guy took three hours to do a one hour job. You've already lost your time. man. That's because we haven't been paying attention. Yeah. Not scheduling properly. So when you're a, a technician, right? So put yourself back in the shoes of a tech. And one of the things that we'll, we'll often hear is, you know, that service advisor doesn't like me and it's not, they're not, they're not feeding me the right work or they're not, you know, and they, they almost feel like they're not in control of that. And it, it's a hard conversation to have because I think at times with the tech, you're like, okay, maybe you need to look in the mirror a little bit too here. But what advice would you have for a technician on that side to say, okay, if I'm working flat rate and I'm not getting favorable jobs or I'm not, you know, his buddy is or his best friend is out there working and he feeds him all the good jobs. Is there reality to that? Or is that more of a perception thing? Or I, obviously this is a hypothetical situation, but is it something that you're seeing in dealerships and in, in general? And is there a way for if, if you're to put yourself in the shoes of a technician, how would you address that? 
Um, I would definitely talk to uh, my supervisor about stuff like that. Make it uh, an understanding thing that you know what's going on. I'd have to probably get the dealer involved because some of that stuff does happen. Um, I also believe that uh, name needs to be questioned up. You look at the amount of hours that people are producing and uh, make sure that you try to keep it as even keel as possible, which is hard to do, by the yeah. way, yeah. Um, because there's uh, certain people with certain expertise on certain things. Uh, listen, I'm not going to give an electrical guy an engine, man. <laughs> I'm going to lose right. my shirt. Right. All right. So the thing is this, at the end of the day, you got to realize uh, the level of competencies that you have in the shop and schedule, try to do as best as you possibly can with scheduling. You know, I love the people that say, oh, this business is all about hours. No, it's not. It's about the customer, man. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is, it's got to be about the customer. The hours come all the automatically. You know, we're putting a number on an hour where we shouldn't be doing stuff like that. We should be putting more value into the hour than what you get is based on how much value you provide for that hour of labor. Uh, professional firms do still do stuff like this. Yeah. All right. So the thing is this, at our level, put more value into the hour, man. The hours come automatically. Okay. Right. Listen, if you're doing the work, uh, you're going to get paid. You don't have to do anything wrong in our industry. There are a lot of things that go on with vehicles that you don't have to worry about picking and choosing. You just got to make something out of something uh, to make sure by the, by the process of looking, you got to look, you don't look, you don't get, it's as simple as that. Right. You can have the best technician that don't want to work. And he's like, look, I've seen it many, many times. And my friend Billy reminds me of this all the time. Right. He says, you know, everybody's ASE certified. Now it stands for ask someone else. All right. So the thing is, it gets to a point where ASC certified is good. It's the, those are great credentials and stuff. Uh, I wouldn't want anybody working on my car that wasn't ASC certified or ACT certified, but I really want somebody that's qualified on my vehicle. Yeah. I want to make sure that when somebody tells me everything's fine, well, everything is fine. Okay where people actually do exactly what they said they were going to do the way they said they would when they said they would. Very important subject. And yeah. that's where I think, I think where the industry needs to focus on. When you're telling a customer that you're paying this, you ready? You're going to be paying that money, not, nothing less and nothing more. Okay. And you're going to do exactly what you said you're going to do the way you said you would when you said you would. And if you're not organized, that's really hard to do, right? I, I, I think. Subject. You didn't say about anything about organization. <laughs> yes. Uh, very, very important. Yeah. Well. Listen, you either had a management alignment or you have management malpractice. You got to choose which one. I'm going to tell you, uh, management alignment costs with the right people, process, and profit, right? Management malpractice costs even more. Because you're going to discount yourself into having should, I should, I should, I should, I should conversation. So then you stand in a whole pile of shit and don't smell very good. All right. So the thing is this, I should, should have happened. Okay. Just take care of what you know you need to take care of. Find out the business model that you're in and start practicing, drilling and perfecting what it is that you need to do every day, every time without fail, no exceptions. That's the seriousness of taking business properly every day, every time without fail, no exceptions, man. So I've, I've got a, a few minutes left with, here, with you, Mike, and, and uh, I, you're genuinely one of the good guys that I feel like I could probably be on this uh, for the entire day and learn a whole lot from you. So I, I, uh, I appreciate you taking some time here. What, what do you, as far as learning from best practices and kind of managing through this tough time right now, 
any advice to to dealerships or shops in general that you know right now obviously is a different time any advice to not only come through this but to to get better coming out of it yeah uh, find out what your customers want i mean internal customers meaning your employees and external customers that want to pay you and give them give them what they want find out what they want and give them what they want i'm not talking about crazy things things that uh, pertain to the business and, uh, you know, you really ask that question. If you ask that question genuinely and you're uh, hiring and onboarding people properly, those conversations shouldn't be that astronomical, man. Sometimes it's the most simplest things uh, that people are missing. Um, and I'm talking about simple things like, look, man, if you're walking around the waiting room with a Dunkin' Donuts cup of coffee and you're asking customers to drink your coffee and you're not drinking your own Kool-Aid, <laughs> guess what? You got some fixing to do, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. If yeah. you're going to drink the coffee, make sure that your people are able to drink the coffee. Invite customers to have coffee with you. I don't know. The, the mindset's got to change, right? So it's kind of like, you know, it, it's kind of like a, 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 I'm not a big fan of Starbucks coffee, but I do like the environment. So I, I'm known to walk into uh, a Starbucks with my own coffee sometimes. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I like the mix and mingle part because people, I've got to tell you, one of the things that is driving people uh, very, very crazy staying home. People yeah. don't want to stay home. So the thing is, you know what? I don't know about those elaborate facilities that people need to have with the social distancing things. There's a lot of businesses that are going to learn a lot of things, man. A lot of people that can do their work from home. Uh, guess what? Maybe that's the place, best place to do it. But at the end of the day, it's people-people relationship. Okay, man? So the thing is, at the end of the day, it requires you a customer. When there's a customer in your presence, that, that customer is expecting you to talk to them. Yeah. You could keep your distance because it's the right thing to do. Okay. Because uh, you got to value their, the way they're feeling is probably the way you're feeling. And uh, I got to tell you, just take a snapshot of where you're at and realize that it's what people hear, what they see and what they smell that matters. Okay. It's kind of like when they sell a car, right? The reason yeah. why people don't buy cars is they either don't like the payment. They don't like the car or they don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> We yeah. have to figure that out, right? In services, what they hear, what they see, and what they smell. And people, I got to tell you, especially in the last few days, I've seen people do an exorbitant amount of, of cleaning and people take notice, okay? That's very, very important now. That yeah. makes people want to come. Hey, listen, you know, I went to this dealership. They, it's a pretty clean facility, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, people would migrate to that. People like that, okay? And um, you got to be there for your customer, man. The profits will come. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I, I, uh, you kind of had a light bulb moment for myself here with the, the whole cleaning thing and how, you know, a, a lot of shops and dealerships are, are putting it on social media, how much they're cleaning and everything like that. Is this something that can stick for the long haul? You know, like this might be something where if, if you're that clean. Hey, check this out. You ready? That's, yeah. that's good stuff. You ready? But I'm, I'm going to sum it down so people can do it. You ready? I'm going to make it a little simpler. You got to ask this very powerful question. You got to answer it honestly. The question becomes, would you do business with you? Hmm. That's it. Take a look around. Okay. You go into a facility. Every dealer right now, okay, should go into their facility and go into every profit center and ask that very powerful question and answer it honestly. Would you do business with you? And if not, you got to fix why not. Okay. Wow. Okay. You got to fix why not. And you, you realize the people that do that, you ready? Uh, they're going to. They're going to have a lot of fixing to do, man. Yeah. Whether people, 
process and profit. What do you want to fix? One of the three P's, man. And when you take a good P, bro, it feels good. You have to have some fun in the process, man. It can't be all doom and gloom, man. I, I, I do have to say, Mike, I, I do believe you're the, the first person I've had on the podcast that's crashed a Ferrari. So I, uh, I, that was an interesting story. And uh, it's funny because I, I love your stories and I love hearing from you and learning from you. And I, I think this is, uh, this is great stuff. And I hope, uh, hope to have you on again at some point because I, I think there's just so much we can learn as an audience and myself included. I, I love listening back and taking notes on this stuff. So I, I truly appreciate you being on today. I appreciate you having me on, Jay.